chapter 3, 11 to 13. This will be our last study. We looked at this briefly last week where God is changing the heart of those that are proud. Verse 11. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove them from your midst, your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. So as we uh, looked last week, we saw the, the spread of uh, the gospel age. God was going to work in people's hearts and work in their mouths. We saw uh, what a miracle that was by nature. Uh, the poison of asps is in our lips. We don't speak the truth. And God says, I'll change their speech uh, to a pure speech. And now in verses 11 to 13, he uh, really t talks to them about a, a change in heart, a change in the core uh, of who they are. Uh, notice in verse 11, uh, in that day, we're still talking about Yahweh's work and Yahweh's timing. It's what God is going to do. And then the, the miracle here is a complete reversal of pride. A complete reversal of pride, which you understand is a miraculous thing. It contrasts the fact that they were never ashamed of their deeds, as he said before in the prophecy, and that the unjust knows no shame. There are people in the world that you could tell about their sins and the evil that they do, and they're not embarrassed at all. And God addressed the Israelites that way. He says, I am just. It comes every morning and everybody can see it, but the unjust knows no shame. I can't even tell them about their sin and have them blush for a moment. Uh, there are steps uh, here in the, in the text is one of the I wills, which we'll see later, where God says, I am going to do all this. He's not waiting anymore for the people uh, to change. He says, I will. The wicked deeds of their shame will, will be removed. So they sinned and they had done shameful things and now God is going to take it away. Remember, he's making a new people. Uh, uh, Galatians 5. Uh, is there any law against the fruits of the Spirit? Uh, no. If you are patient and kind and, and just and have self-control, there's no law against that. If, if I'm on Route 95 and I'm going 70, there's no law that's going to touch me because I'm within the bounds of the law. But they weren't in the bounds of the law. If I'm going 80 or 85, then I'm a lawbreaker. And when the policeman pulls me over, I would be ashamed. Yes, I was speeding. But he's going to take the shame of their deeds and get rid of that. Because he's going to make a people who obey the law. He's going to make a people who have fruits of the Spirit. He's going to make a people who are within the things that please him. And he'll actually say that he rejoices over that later. There's lasting change. Because verse 11 still tells us, 
they will no longer be haughty. And we saw last week, the heart of stone gets removed. But then he puts, he puts this uh, new humility in a place. And he says, it's God's holy mountain. There's appropriate humility for God's worship and his holy place. And God says, I'm not just going to change them to be humble people. I'm going to put them in the place of worship. And that's where they're going to be humble. And that's where we should be the most humble. When we look at the table uh, this morning, that's where we should be the most humble. How did this transaction happen? How did somebody die for my sins? How did somebody now plead my case before the Heavenly Father? That's what God's going to do. My humility should be most demonstrated right here in the people of God, in the presence of God, in the worship of God. All the time, yes, but especially here, that's the point. And it's not, it's not a mountain. People aren't going to go to Jerusalem anymore. What does uh, Jesus say in John 4? They're having the debate. Remember the woman? She's trying to get religious. Well, she's had a bunch of husbands. She's living with a guy now, and she's trying to get religious. Oh, we worship over here at this mountain. But he says, not at this mountain or in Jerusalem. What happened to Jerusalem? Because true worship is here. And wherever there's a changed heart, that's where God gets the worship from. You see, that's the whole picture of what's going on. It's not a place where you go. It's who you are inside. It's what God's done for you inside. It's a, it's a beautiful message. And God says, this is what I'm going to do. Verse 12, once again, I will work. I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. That's what God is going to do. True worshiper, worshipers of God, that's who they are. He does it. Who can change the proud heart of man? Who can change the leopard spots? Only God alone. Who can humble a people in, in an appropriate way and make them serve him? Only God. Because he demonstrates, like in the death of Christ, that this is, this is his heart towards people. And that's a humbling thing. Right? People have said, if you want to be humbled, go to the foot of the cross. Well, that, that's the idea. He is always working to keep men's souls in his care. Right in the middle of all sorts of pride and wickedness and evil. Remember, uh, the, the, the destruction by Babylon is, is still on the way. It's still coming. And he'll take them in that and get them out of it. He keeps a, a people uh, for himself. And we should bless God uh, for this. Here's the character of the humble in the second part of verse 12. They will seek refuge. And it's a complete change from uh, verse 2, where it says they listen to no voice. They don't accept correction. They don't trust in God or draw near to him. And it's a complete reversal of chapter 1, verse 6, where they turn back from following the Lord. And it shows that the vast change is all of grace. They seek refuge. Refuge is looking for help and safety and protection. And you can see the vast difference before. 
Before they said, we don't need the Lord, we have these other gods. And as far as God, the prophecy says, we don't think he'll do anything, whether it's good or bad. They really didn't. But now, they seek refuge in the name of Yahweh. And remember, that's all of his attributes revealed. It's all he's demonstrated, and then it's personalized. It's the same as our studies in Psalm 63. I went into the sanctuary, and I, I looked at what God did. Right? I beheld his power and his glory. Well, how'd you do that? Did some smoke come into the place? No. All I had to do was look back and see what he's done. All I had to do is look back at his character and what he's demonstrated. And that's personalized then for me. And I see God's power and his glory. Because I saw it in the past and in the past and I see it in me. I need Yahweh to help me is a far cry from the stagnant heart that we saw before. When they said uh, Yahweh won't do good or evil. And then uh, another heading the further expression of Yahweh's reformation is in verse 13. Uh, it's a changed nation, but only the true Israelite will act this way. Only those who are truly circumcised in heart, all that are left in Israel. Yahweh once again takes a, a part out of the whole, the, the remnant, everybody who's left. After the after the, the, the people were taken away by Babylon, he's not talking about the only people that were left were true Israelites. But in his plan, in his plan, there will be true people left. Notice their godly characteristics are demonstrated also. No injustice. They speak no lies. And a deceitful tongue is not in their mouth. And, and, the, and those are the things that he charged them with before. Now, it's very interesting and uh, I took some time to notice what he said, but uh, Albert Barnes says this whole section is all in threes, and we have to go through it fast. But <coughs> So verse 13, they're free from sin. They do no iniquity. They speak no lies. There's no deceitful tongue. Uh, verse 13, still their blessedness. They'll feed, they'll lie down, and nobody will make them afraid. Uh, verse 14, the exhortation to joy. They'll sing, they'll shout, and they'll be glad and rejoice. Verse 14, who are the recipients of the joy? The daughter of Zion, Israel, and the daughter of Jerusalem. Uh, verse 15, judgment is going to be removed. Take away judgment, clear enemies, and remove fear. Verse 16, there's a promise. Not see evil, not fear, and uh, their hands will not be slack. And then verse 17, uh, Yahweh's love. He'll rejoice over you, rest in his love, and joy over you with singing. And I can, I can give you that list, but I think, I think there's a, quite a structure there for us to, to notice. But it, it affects their mouth. It affects their lives. No injustice, no uh, speaking uh, lies. And then there's a promised peace. They'll graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Well, you say, well, when did that happen? Well, it's the same as uh, Micah chapter 4 uh, about the great shepherd. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. The great shepherd will make anybody under his care secure, but grazing and lying down uh, is a picture. 
Some people have struggled here because they said, when did God make his people? Well, not in history, so it must be at some different time. That's not the idea. If we just think of the fact that people don't graze and think of Micah, it's the picture of a shepherd ruling over them. And I would ask you to think about Psalm 23. When did God make David lie down in green pastures? Well, I know the history of David. I never knew that God made him lie down in green pastures. Well, when did he lead him beside still waters? You see, it's a picture of the dealings that God had with him. And does anybody know where the valley of the shadow of death is? Well, David said he walked in it. Where is it? You see, it's a picture. So we, we can go astray if we're looking. Well, when is God going to make Israel graze and lie down? When are they going to lie down and, and be secure? They're going to be secure in their salvation. When did God prepare a table for David when all his enemies were around? It's, it's spiritual pictures, right? It's physical pictures of spiritual reality. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When did God lead David with a staff and, and, and poke him along and move him along? You see, it's a, it's a picture. Uh, here is the, the 12th oracle, verse 14 through 20. There's forgiveness, change, and restoration. And it starts with a national call to praise. And, and as we've been led up to this point, we would be able to say, too, yeah, we should start praising. Look at all the things that God is going to do. Look what he's going to do uh, in the world. Look what he's going to do to people. Change hearts and restore. And, and, and we have this picture of grazing, and we won't be afraid. Praise the Lord, we would say. But, but God exhorts them. There's a national call to praise. There are three things. He calls to the daughter of Zion, calls to Israel, and he calls to the daughter of Jerusalem. Uh, Mount Zion, the place where, where there's worship, that's where the praise should come from. Israel, the whole nation. You remember in the prophets, Israel has been a name for good or for bad. He could say Israel is an idolater. Does that mean everybody is? No, but the nation as a whole. But he can say it for a positive way like here. The whole nation is called to, to, to uh, praise. The Yahweh of Israel, uh, the, the remnant, the king of Israel, those are the people. And Jerusalem also, in the beginning, is part of his judgment. He said, I'm going to search Jerusalem as with lamps. Remember, the, the, there was pictures of people who were afraid of the judgments that were coming. There were pictures of people that were hiding. And God says, no, I'm going to search Jerusalem with a lamp. I'm going to find you all out. And here he says, you should praise because of what I'm going to do. Uh, they're changed people uh, and they're called to rejoice. Just a synopsis, their speech has changed, their pride has changed, their worship has been changed, the fear of the Lord has been changed, their respect and awe of Yahweh has been changed. Remember, they're going to call on the name of the Lord, which they didn't do. They've been made humble and lowly. Their shameful acts have been forgiven and their hearts have been changed. You'd say, well, if God did all that. We should start praising. We should start praising Lord for, for his, uh, his work and his uh, changing hearts. Changed hearts bring unloosed lips. 
and the JFB commentary says, happiness follows in the wake of holiness. You know that God has worked in your life. You know that God has changed you. You know this. This is what I once was. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. Then you would turn and say, praise the Lord. Thank God for my salvation. They are called now to rejoice when this work will be done in the future. We're still in a section where he says, in that day, in that day. We have to know too, we rejoice now. Okay, well, you say, well, what about all the trouble in the world? What about all the conspiracies? What about all the billionaires making plans and plots? What about this? What if the currency changes? What about China? What about this? What about that? No. He causes people to graze and lie down in safety. Why? Because ultimately your life, your eternity is, is for sure. That's the perspective. Is there ever a time when there's not going to be trouble in the world? Some people think that, well, the, the only way to deal with this is to take all the trouble out of the world. That's not true. It goes against the book of Hebrews. It goes against the, the discourse in the upper room. In the world you have tribulation, but take care, I've overcome the world. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why? My, my father's prepared mansions for you. That's where you're going to go. I'm not waiting until everything calms down and it's smooth. Wow. It's nice being a Christian now. There's not one persecutor. There's not one problem. There's not one evil ruler. There's nothing. No, it's right now. The book of Hebrews tells us that since Jesus suffered and, and he learned obedience through the things he suffered, amazing, that we have all we need and the strength to get by. And chapter 11 says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. It just drills it home. Other people have faced things worse than us. The proof is in the end, right? He just cast it out there. Oh, they were sawn in two. This happened to them. That happened to them. Well, tomorrow, people are coming to saw you in two. I'm safe. I'm resting in Christ. They can saw this all they want. Oh, you say that's pretty bold. But, but, but isn't that the idea? Isn't that where God's people always are? Peter and Paul, think of their lives. Think of what was done to those men. And, and they persevered. So, so we rejoice, but, but this hope is, is, is right there. And in, in all the coming judgments, despite that, God is wonderfully working uh, in people. Paul calls it momentary light affliction. And he lists more things, right? Who would say, well, I'll, I want to trade my afflictions for Paul's. Who would say that? Momentary light affliction works an eternal weight of glory. He, he pictures scales. Momentary light affliction and the eternal weight of glory comes and it just goes and it pushes away up. One day they'll, they'll be out of Babylon. They'll be in Babylon and be out of Babylon. But their hope is in the changed hearts. Their hope is in the, the new covenant. Verse 15 and 16. It's, it's praise that has a, a reason. 
The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. And, and that is a, a common theme in Zephaniah. I'm right there in the middle of it. I am right there uh, working. Verse 16, you shall never again fear evil. And people say, well, when is that? We need a, we need a time when nobody will be, ever be afraid of evil. But you cannot be afraid of evil even when evil is all around you. There's, there's people in the scriptures that were. Right? The one prophet's servant says there's a whole army out there. He says, look again. Don't you see all the angels surrounding that? Don't worry about it. Verse 16, on that day it will be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. There's exhortations to, uh, to us for the same thing. All of Yahweh's activity in your midst. Verse 12, verse 15, verse 17. Yahweh, your Elohim. And, and the reasons pile up again. He's taken away all the judgments. He's cleared away your enemies. And never again fear evil. Are these blessings of the gospel age? Yes, we would say so. Jesus told the disciples on many occasions, but here's two. Don't fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's taken away fear. Matthew 10. Matthew 10 is a chapter of turmoil and persecution and upside down stuff and all this conflict. And Jesus wraps it up and says, don't fear the one who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Oh, there's persecutors, haven't you heard? America's being filled with persecutors. They're coming after people. And they go up to people and they ask them, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And as soon as you say yes, they shoot you dead. Don't fear them. That's the, that's the absence of fear. That's the, that's the grazing. That's David. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's the comfort because nothing can take salvation away. And, and that's what people have been told throughout the, throughout the history. Jesus, Jesus told the disciples, even in that context, after I leave, they're going to do all sorts of things to you. They're going to bring you into courts. They're going to make judgments against you. They're going to do all these things. Plus, you're going to have problems in your household. Plus, I really didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Not physical, but spiritual. That's what this is all about. There's spiritual warfare. But only those who are changed, only those with the, with the fleshly heart, only those who have the spirit in, only those are being who are being caused to walk in God's way, they're the ones that, that that's addressed to. We're not waiting for, for some time when, oh, there's no conflict, so good. And then, and then Paul in, in Romans 8, he just clicks off. What can separate us from the love of Christ? And you might say the short answer, nothing. But then he asks all those questions, doesn't he? Can a sword separate you? Well, they might cut my head off. Those, those conspirators, those wicked billionaires, those politicians. But it can't separate you from the love of Christ. But they, they've been persecuting me all the time. Well, they can do that, but can they separate you from the love of Christ? No. And he just lists the things. Can this, can this, can this? Brethren, I'm not saying this lightly. We will need grace in that time. 
if the time comes, we'll need grace to say, I don't care if you shoot me dead. I believe in Christ. I have a possession in heaven. I'm going immediately to see my Savior. It takes grace to do that. But all the governments and the billionaires and the conspiracies in the entire world history have never stopped the purposes of God. We sang the hymn this morning, where's Christ? He's reigning right now. He's ruling right now. When he comes back, he's going to set everything straight. Wicked over here, righteous over there. And it'll all be done. We'll see it in Revelation. The whole thing gets all taken care of, and Jesus is the one who does it. And that's why he can give us promises when he was on earth that are going to last till that time comes. In the middle of potential fears, verse 16, he says, on that day again. It seems to narrow it down to a day, and we would say, well, when is the day? When is the day? Well, it's that gospel age. It's out there. It's coming. Here's the exhortation. Don't fear. Don't let your hands grow weak. It's just like Hebrews 12, isn't it? You have hope in Christ. You're supposed to look to the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him did what? Endured. And he goes on to say, he talks about discipline, and then he says, what happens to us? All right? I got knee problems. I got hand problems. I'm having a hard time walking the Christian life. Everything seems to be drooping down. And in Zephaniah and in Hebrews, he says, strengthen those things that are weak. Stand up straight. Look at all the privileges that Hebrews has talked about for 10 chapters and an 11th chapter that's told you all the people who've been exactly through what you did. And strengthen yourself. And here he says the same thing. Don't let your hands grow weak. But everything is fulfilled in Christ. Christ and his salvation is the only thing that can get in there and change it. I can't say, well, uh, I'm Jewish, you know that? I can trace my descendants. I'm, in one of the, I'm Jewish. Or I did this or I did that. No, the only thing that works is I am one of Jesus Christ's disciples. My heart's been changed. The stony thing's been removed. The fleshly thing's been put there. And that's why I do what I do. That's why I seek to honor him. That's why I praise him and I gladly praise him. And then it turns around in verse 17. And Yahweh rejoices over his people. Why does he do that? Because he created them. He made them. If you're a true believer, if you follow God, he rejoices over you. He watches over you. He has delight in you. It's, a, the, it's the people saved by the new covenant. The blessings that are found in Christ. A, a, a wayward nation and wicked people uh, don't please him. But Yahweh and Jesus have purified to themselves a people for their own possession who are zealous for good works. Ephesians 2.10, we'll, we'll look at this picture for a few minutes. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Why does God rejoice? Because he's made a people, he's prepared a people that are going to do his will. And he's guided them and told them the good works that they could do, and they're going to do it, and he rejoices in them. Ephesians 2 shows the, the uh, without a doubt, God's sovereign power in the salvation of sinners. It also shows in many ways the, out, uh, the outworking uh, of our, our being chosen in him before the, the foundations of the world. Uh, but there's, there's powerful creation pictures in the text that we read. And, uh, and in Ephesians 2, you he made alive when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So, here's the creation, the physical creation. What was there? Formless, void, darkness. Not much to work with, was it? What happened? The Spirit of God was hovering, and then God spoke. And what happened? Whatever he wanted to happen. Over here, I went the wrong way. Over here, here's man. What's he? Spiritually dead. Can you do anything with that? Dead. Walked in the course of all the other people. Followed the course of the world. Followed the prince of the power of the air. Worked on day by day by Satan. Day by day, Satan works in people. The God of this world, Paul says, blinds the minds of people so they don't believe. What, what, what did they do? Desire that the body in the natural state and were by nature children of wrath. Is there anybody who can get people out of that condition? Is there? And the, all the scripture says, but God who is rich in mercy. That, that's, that's it. Wait a minute. Don't you hear what I just said? Don't you hear that I said following the course, following the prince of the... Yeah, I heard all that. The answer is, but God who is rich in mercy. And, and what's the result? A person saved. So this text shows us just what the creation shows us. What did God say after every day? What was it? Good. And the final thing, very good. What happens over here? These are the people God says, I rejoice over them. I look over them and I say, look at the people that I've made. You say, well, that's kind of proud. Why would you do, why would you? We have the same thing, don't we? My grandsons tell us all the time, look what I drew. Look what I made. Look at this. Look what I did. Look at this. And God wants us to know that in the creation or in the salvation of sinner, that's the same thing he's telling us. Look what I have done. And that's what he did. And that's what he did. He's in our midst again. He... He's the mighty one who will save. He's the only one who will save. But he's mighty. He's mighty. It's used for us. You look at that picture and you'll say, man, you need a mighty one to save you. And Zephaniah says, well, that's good because God is a mighty one to save. And he rejoices over his people. It's an amazing thing. He has the right to say it's very good because he made it. It's perfect. It's beautiful. And he has the right to rejoice because he's created these people to be so totally different than they were that he says, those are my people. I rejoice over them and I bless them and I take care of them and I watch over them. A mighty one 
who will save. And then the, the final few verses are uh, Yahweh's I wills. Uh, the versions all demonstrate that uh, all these things are accomplished uh, by God's will. But first of all, verse 19, there's another at that time. And there's Yahweh's stamp on it, isn't it? Men can't control it. Men aren't in control of it. God's in control of it. At that time. Uh, the ESV puts in seven I wills. Some of the other translations put in five, six, and, and express it in a different way. But notice, I'm just going to walk through it. First thing, I will gather those who mourn. I will deal with all your oppressors, uh, verse 18, beginning in 19. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will change their shame into praise. I will bring in and gather. I will make you renowned and praised in the earth, and I will restore your fortunes. Well, if we follow this here, right, the, the Ephesians picture, that's my fortune restored because I had no hope and I was without God in the world other, other than that. I don't need a piece of land. I need a piece of heaven. I don't need a house or, or things on earth. I need a mansion in heaven. I need a new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven of God. Not, not a physical thing. Notice, those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. They're saved from their sins. They're saved from their troubles. The upper room discourse, he's just pouring out uh, comfort for them. Notice the many healings in Mark's study that all the people that were healed. Uh, John has doubts in prison and Luke's account says he did many miracles and then he sent John's disciples back and said uh, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the uh, people are saved. That's the age. That's what we're talking about. God's going to physically change people. And then the outcasts, two of my favorites, Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Is there anybody that you or I would hate more than a chief tax collector? The tax collectors overcharged and extorted from the regular people. And I wonder if as a chief tax collector, if you didn't extort from the tax collectors. This guy had money. He was rich. And what does he do? He climbs a tree. The goofy kid song, notwithstanding, this is an amazing thing. He's just short. He couldn't see. So he climbs a tree. And who is working to save his soul? The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't have to come and say, well, anybody who would climb a tree to see me must be really sincere in this. No, no, no. He points to him. There could have been a lot of people in that tree. Trees are strong. And he says, come down. And what, what does he say afterwards? It's an amazing thing. Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. How did that happen? You just said he was a chief tax collector. How did that? Son of Abraham, they don't go together. Well, neither does this, neither do the, do the dead in trespasses and sins, people that the devil influences every day, but God who's rich in mercy. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save 
that which was lost. That's God's I will. I will do it. I will make sure that it gets done. Uh, and, and it talks about changing their names. I couldn't help but think about why was Saul's name changed to Paul? Why was Simon's name changed to, to Peter? Because, because the new name said something different about who they were. Here's another outcast, another one of my favorites. Jesus goes to the, to, to, the, to the house and he sits down. And this woman comes in. It says she was a woman of the city who was a sinner. Oh, we know all about them. If you've ever been to a big city, you've seen, oh, we, we, whoa. And the, the host, that's what he's saying. He literally says, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of this woman who, who is touching him. For she's a sinner. You can't touch sinners, can you? And the picture is she's touching him. She, she is wetting her, him with her tears. She's wiping him. She's wiping her, her hair on him. That's terrible. She's a woman in the city. And then he gives that picture. She loves much because she's forgiven much. The question is, do we? Do we love Christ because we forget? Well, I, I was never a guy of the city. Nobody could say that about me. I never was a chief tax collector. It doesn't matter. Meditate on the first four commandments and you'll know you're lost. You're on your way to hell. That's all you need for because we, we try to take refuge in what we do to other people. I don't steal. I don't murder. I don't do this. I don't covet. Well, what's your relationship with God? You're undone. Her sins, though were many, are demonstrated because her love. And what does he say? The, the text says he'll make these people renowned. Jesus says everywhere where this gospel of preached this incident. One thing, sitting at a table, a woman pours oil. It will be remembered till eternity. The guy climbs a tree. He's a son of Abraham. She comes in. She's a woman of the city. And this act will be remembered for eternity. That's God's mercy. That's God's grace. That's a Savior who goes out and seeks and saves the lost. God changed their names. They became renowned and praised. The unbelieving nation was never renowned and praised. And all the blessings of the new covenant manifestation are found in Christ. It's the true renown of the... At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, right? In the return from the captivity of Babylon, it will happen. And also when he brings uh, the people and I will make you renowned among all the peoples of the earth, I will restore your fortunes be before your eyes. They don't need, they don't need property. They need salvation. We'll, we'll finish with the beginning of first uh, John. He says from the beginning, what we heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked upon, what we've touched with our hands. He says, life was made manifest to us by the physical appearance 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. God did it before their eyes in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's our salvation. And, and that's our hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this wonderful, complex book of Zephaniah. We're thankful for the obvious fact that you will save sinners. We're thankful that that's throughout the scriptures, that there's many passages that we could turn to. We're thankful to even see these two people who were outcasts, that you would save them. This gives us hope for ourselves and hope in your mercy. And we're thankful for your forward look because on that day, all these things will be restored. On that day, we will have no fear. On that day, you will demonstrate your power to save sinners. We're thankful for these things in Jesus' name.